It seems that sometimes you just can't get the kind of help you need to do the kind of things that you want to do. And someone left a very important announcement this morning off of the announcement sheet. And so uh, after services are over, I can assure you I will promptly go to a mirror and give that person the kind of dressing down that he deserves. But Mike and Jan O'Brien have been worshiping with us now for quite some time, and we talked a few weeks ago, and they wanted to actually make it official and be, I think it's bona fide is the way that movie put it one time. But anyway, Mike and Jana want to officially be considered a part of our church family here in center. And so we're, we're so happy that they want to do that. I told them that I would make that announcement, but that we already considered them family and had for quite some time. They just hadn't realized it. But uh, if you get a chance, just tell Mike and Jana how happy you are that they are officially part of our family here in center now because we're grateful for them and for the things that they do and the talents they bring to us. And we're glad that they are part of our family. John was baptizing people. And as he was baptizing people, John was saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, one day the Pharisees come and they send some men to inquire. They say, Who is this John really? And John said, well, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. Well, are you Elias? He said, no, I'm not Elias either. He said that he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He was the one crying, make straight the way of the Lord. He was the one prophesied by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3. Well, a couple of days later, John is standing with two of his disciples, Andrew and John. And he looked up and he saw Jesus walk by. And John turned to Andrew and John and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, that was when in John chapter 40, Andrew and John followed Jesus. And Jesus turned to them and They asked him, Master, where dwellest thou? Where do you live? Where are you staying? Jesus said, well, come and see. And so we've got that memorable occasion there where Andrew and John went and spent the day. Actually, if you actually read the text and look at the Jewish time frames, they actually spent the night with Jesus. I'm sure talking till the wee hours of the morning, probably till they saw the sun coming up. Well, it happened after Andrew and John had spent the day with Jesus. Andrew has a brother named Simon. And the Scripture tells us that Andrew went and found his brother Simon. And he brought Simon to Jesus. And Jesus met Simon and he said, Thou art Simon. Thou shalt be called Cephas. That's in John 1, verse 42. That's the way Jesus Christ greeted Simon when He met him the very first time. He comes face to face with Simon. He says, you're Simon. 
But you're going to someday be called Cephas. Andrew had no sooner introduced them than Jesus tells this raw-boned Galilean fisherman that he is destined to become a man of rock-like character. Now, I wasn't there. But I think that probably sounded incredible, even to Simon. His friends, if they had heard it, would have probably looked at one another with a knowing smile and lift, rolled their eyes just a little bit. They would have held their hands up and chuckled a little bit behind their hands. They would have turned to one another, Simon, a rock. Yeah, right. Everyone would have agreed that of anybody they knew, the least likely person ever to be a rock-like man was going to be Simon. And yet, if you read the Bible, even by our standards today, Simon did arise. He was surely acknowledged as the leader among the twelve apostles. In a popularity contest today, he would be the best loved among the apostles. And that's not because of his superior ability. I'm not certain that Simon was the most brilliant among the twelve. And yet... We don't ever love someone just because they happen to be brilliant and intelligent. And we don't love Peter because he was without fault. Because he certainly wasn't. We love him because he was, is so much like us. How many times do we see him open his mouth and put his foot in it? How many times do we see him stumble and fall? How many times do we see him say things he shouldn't have said? We love Peter because he has the same failings, the same emotions, the same passions that we have. He's flesh and blood and bone and sinew. He's just like us. He's human. He's genuinely human. And you know, that's a good thing. He was always Peter. He was always himself. And there was never any veneer about him. He never struck a pose. He never pretended. He never, as we say, put on airs. He never tried to hide his ignorance. He always said what he thought, not what he thought somebody else might want him to say. And even when he was in Jerusalem, that's where the Harvard of his day was, he did not affect an accent. He continued to use his own Galilean accent there. And Peter had gifts of leadership. Peter had that indefinable quality, that 
indefinable something that we call personality. We may not agree on our definition of it, but whatever it is, all of us consider it to be something of real value. It's something that if an individual doesn't have it, they're practically ineffective. It's also something that if an individual has it, sometimes we've seen them get by with little else in life. You remember in John chapter 21, after the death of Christ, Peter says to the others, he said, I go fishing. And a bunch of the others got in the boat and went fishing with him. Personality is that something, that quality that Peter had that in John 21 caused the others to go a-fishing with him. Otherwise, they might have just yawned and said, okay, have a good time, good luck. We also like something else about Peter. We like Peter's wholeheartedness. Peter put everything he had into what he was doing. Peter never did anything halfway. Now, sometimes Peter's on the wrong side of the fence. Sometimes Peter's on the right side of the fence. But you never do find Peter straddling the fence. There were times that Peter was enthusiastic to the boiling point, And there were other times that Peter was five degrees below zero. But Peter was never, not one time, lukewarm. There were some good things about Peter. Remember I said Peter was like me and you? Peter also had some faults. Peter was a man that had too much self-confidence. Peter was a man that had too much cockiness about him. In fact, there were some that think that this self-confidence, this cockiness, this arrogance that Peter had, that Peter being so sure of himself masked a sense of inferiority. I really don't think so. You look at the things that Peter did, and you look at Peter's self-confidence. And the self-confidence of Peter often has a kind of a boyish charm about it. It has that kind of boyish charm that turns our frowns into smiles. I think if Peter had a sense of humor, I think Peter might have sometimes laughed at himself. And yet, there's no indication in the Bible that Peter ever saw, saw a joke. Not even when he shaved in the morning. So he was constantly taking himself too seriously. And doing that, Peter has all the humility of a politician. He's willing for his fellow apostles to take second place. He's willing for them to take third or fourth place if it's necessary. But he always has to be first. He's the one that has to be the official spokesman. You look here. There's times Jesus tries to warn Peter about his overconfidence. 
Like in Matthew 16, when Jesus is going to Jerusalem, Peter said, oh no, that's not going to happen. And that's when Jesus said, you get behind me, Satan, you're a rock and an offense to me. Jesus tried to warn him about that confidence he had. And it had just about as much effect as using your Red Ryder BB gun against a tank. It just didn't work. He had too much self-confidence sometimes. He was an impulsive man. Sometimes he was too impulsive. Sometimes Peter reasoned with his feelings rather than with his mind. Too often he was guided by emotions. He wasn't guided by reason and logic. There were times, and no one in this room's ever done this, I know. There were times that he spoke up and then he thought about the situation. There were times he took a position and looked for some reason to back it up. And there were times that he was like so many people we've all known in life, my mind is made up, don't confuse me with facts. He was impulsive. And living as he did within the realm of his emotions, Peter is unpredictable. And he's unreliable often. No one, not even Peter, knew what he was going to do under a given set of circumstances. He told Jesus, I'll never deny you. And Jesus said, yes, you will. And later he did. Sometimes Peter spoke with great wisdom. And then sometimes he did just exactly the opposite. One minute we see Peter so heroic, we want to just stand up and cheer for him. And the next moment we see him so cowardly, he brings a blush of shame. One minute he's pushing a tossing boat aside and stepping out of the water to walk on the water to Jesus. The next moment he's up to his chin in that water and he says, Lord, save me. Now understand something. Criticizing Peter this way. I don't mean that feelings are to be completely repressed. Absolutely not. But we cannot let feelings take the place of judgment. Serving the Lord in Christianity is not a religion that's better felt than told. But Jesus meets this man. He meets this big, impulsive overconfident man. And Jesus says, Thou art Simon. Thou shalt be called Cephas. He's a bewildering mixture of weakness and strength. He's a blending of stardust and mud. So how does Jesus propose to make a rock-like character out of this man? Jesus gave Simon a glimpse of his possibilities. Jesus saw Simon for what he was. And He also saw him for what he could be. Out ahead of the Simon that was, 
Jesus pointed out a new man. A man whose weakness had become power. A man whose pride had become humility. A man whose ugliness had become beauty. If what Jesus said to Simon Peter is unique, folks, it's also universal. Right now, this morning, right here in Center, Texas, to every one of us in this room today, Jesus says, you are but you shall be. What you are is of great importance and great significance. What you and I are becoming is far more important. Some of us are braver than others. Some of us have climbed up higher on the hill than others. But, And this is true of all of us. Not one of us has yet become the best that we can be. There walks in front of me this morning a far more Christ-like person than I have become. And there walks in front of you this morning a far more Christ-like person than you've become too. And that is not our despair. Absolutely not. That's our inspiration. And that is our hope. We are, but we shall become. Jesus is giving Peter a glimpse of his possibilities. But Jesus is doing more than that. Jesus is promising His help in Peter coming to the realization of those possibilities. When Jesus says, you are Simon, you'll become Cephas. Nobody knows better than Jesus Christ just how impossible it's going to be for Peter to achieve that in his own strength. The words of Jesus that day, they weren't just prophecy. They were the promise of divine help. And Jesus promises that same help to me and to you. He tells us that He is always with us. But, If Simon is going to become Cephas, it's got to be by his own choosing. He's got to be willing to obey. He's got to be willing to do what Jesus tells him to do. You know, I remember many years ago, my grandfather, when he developed his jaw cancer, his throat closed up and he couldn't eat. So a feeding tube was put in to bring nourishment to his body. Sometimes when people can't eat, 
We put in a feeding tube and, and we put food in them through that tube. But beloved, there is no forced feeding for the bread of life. We've got to choose to take it all on our own. And so Jesus said, you're Simon, you'll become Cephas. And Peter submitted to the will of Jesus Christ. And when he submitted to the will of Jesus, Jesus at once began to bring him his best. His decision to follow was the work of the moment. But for the full winning of the goal, he had to have all of time and all of eternity. You look at the life of Peter, and sometimes his progress was kind of pitiful, wasn't it? And sometimes the actions of Peter and his progress was disappointing. If you took a graph of Peter's life, it doesn't just constantly go in an upward direction. It zigs and it zags. I know somebody else's that does that. Mine does. Mine doesn't go up in a constant arc. It zigs and it zags and so does yours. Sometimes our progress in the Lord is great and sometimes it's disappointing. But Jesus is always there to lift us up. When Peter denied Him, when Peter cursed and he swore, and Jesus looked at him. And then Peter went out and wept bitterly. He comes back. And he's the great preacher of Pentecost. And he's become the rock-like character that Jesus said he would be. There was no magic about it. Having made the decision to follow Jesus, Peter just bravely kept on. In spite of the fact that he fell, and he fell again, and he fell again, he just kept on. He never allowed any fall to become final. Now here's the question. Would you make the decision this morning to follow Jesus? If you've never done it, would you make the decision to Follow Him this morning in simple trusting faith. Repenting of everything that's sin in your life. Confessing His name and being buried in the waters of baptism to wash away past sins. Or maybe you've done that. you made that decision, but you've fallen. Would you get back up? Would you come home? Would you let brothers and sisters pray with you and for you? It's His invitation as we stand while we sing. Hallelujah.